welcome to Walking Dharma Podcast, the podcast that attempts to demystify classical spiritual teachings and apply them to modern day living. I'm your host, Kristen Coyle. Before I jump into this episode's subject matter, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to the podcast. I love hearing your feedback and heartfelt messages about how the podcast has helped you in so many different ways. If you feel so inclined, next time you listen, if you would rate us on iTunes and even leave a comment if you feel so inclined, it will really help the podcast gain visibility so we can reach even more people with these potent and timeless teachings. Anyway, today's episode is called You're Stronger Than You Think, and it is based on the five strengths as highlighted by Pema Chodron in her book, The Places That Scare You. And if you don't know who Pema Chodron is, she is an incredibly self-realized Buddhist nun who has written countless books and is a leader on the path to modern-day self-awakening and the path of what we call bodhicitta. And bodhicitta can be broken down into two words, bodhi, meaning enlightenment or awakening, and citta, which is consciousness. So bodhicitta is the enlightened mind. And in Pema Chodron's book, she talks about the five strengths. And the five strengths are considered to be the condensed heart instructions. So what this means is that if you follow or abide by the five strengths of Buddhism or just the five strengths of being a human, as highlighted by other awakened beings, you remain capable of being in your heart, even when you are deeply challenged or going through a shadow aspect of your own personality or someone you love. And the five strengths, in a nutshell, are strong determination, familiarization with the bodhicitta, or enlightenment teachings and practices, belief that the seed of goodness is found in every living being, the practice of reproach, which basically means course correction, and the power of aspiration. And the power of aspiration is not just aspiration to achieve our goals, but rather the power to aspire to be the best possible human being you can be. And not loosely translated, meaning the best possible human being you can be in a way that you reduce suffering increase your own compassion, and through that, help others discover theirs as well. So starting from the beginning, I want to dive a little bit deeper into each of the five strengths and give you my take on it and also read a little bit from the places that scare you because certain things that she states in here are just so on point. And I haven't dug this book out in a couple years. I actually read it when I was teaching yoga on a remote island in Indonesia. And as I flipped through the pages, or read through the pages, there are little gnats smashed to the pages of the book. And it reminded me of how I laid in my mosquito net at night, 
after the lights had gone off with my headlamp and was basically swarmed by gnats. But I was totally determined to read this book. It just felt like I had to digest it while I was there, away from most of what was familiar to me, and in a place where I had a lot of stillness to sit with things. And I feel like it's during those times when we become really receptive to receiving a teaching. And so when I read this book, it really did change my life. And I know we might hear that a lot. We see it all the time. If you get on social media, they'll tell you, this book changed my life. You can see it every single day about a different book. And the reason why is if we get the empowering information at that perfect moment for ourselves, even if we've heard it a thousand other times from other people or even the same person, but if we get that information when we are in a lucid, receptive moment, suddenly we become capable of integrating that information into our day-to-day life, meaning it kind of rearranges our blueprint of how we behave. So this book is really about that. It's about rearranging belief systems that don't serve us. And the first of the five strengths helps us do that. It's called strong determination. And strong determination doesn't just mean that when you feel tired, you keep going. Although that is part of it. The type of strong determination she refers to is determination on our highest spiritual path. Determination to keep going, even when we feel like there are so many obstacles in our way. It's the invitation to pull on a deeper strength within our own hearts and minds and willpower when necessary to continue moving forward in a way that is guided by the instructions of our own heart. And strong determination doesn't mean that you have to always be going at life 110%, but rather it's an inner knowing that no matter what happens, you are grounded in your path. And by meaning grounded in your path, not just what the path you're walking in the material realm, but grounded in your path as a whole, grounded in what you feel from inside out to be your truth. And especially in this modern day world, we have to implement strong determination a fair amount to drown out all the noise of life. Anywhere you go, we are bombarded with images of what a perfect life should be. If you go to the grocery store in the checkout line, there are so many conflicting messages amongst magazines of flawless models with beautiful Photoshop skin most of the time. There's rows of candy and sugar which simultaneously do the exact opposite for our bodies most of the time. And this is kind of a big metaphor for what we face on a day-to-day basis. And I've noticed for me, especially since I've been living in a more populated area, like a city, I feel even more of that. Everywhere I go, there's a billboard telling me what to buy, or there's this kind of pressure to do the things the other yoga teachers here do to basically make a living. And I've noticed for my partner, too, he's in his new position at the tech industry and there's this pressure to talk about what the other guys talk about or essentially try to fit in 
And where strong determination comes in is it helps us remember that we don't need to fit in. We don't have to really mold to other people's expectations. As long as we have trust and what we call shraddha or trust or faith in what we are doing and we are rooted within just being in our body as we are, we can trust that whatever we're offering or bringing to the table in the form of livelihood, such as teaching yoga in your classes, or playing music and having people receive it and enjoy it, or being an artist and hoping people enjoy your art. As long as we are grounded in knowing that what we're doing is right for us, there will be other people it resonates with, undoubtedly. And something I've heard so many of my peers say over and over lately, which is so refreshing, is that we can't make everyone happy not as yoga teachers or doctors or whatever profession you may be or whatever person, a mother, a father, a daughter, a son, a partner, we cannot always make everyone happy. And if we live our life with that pressure over our head, then we actually start to shut down and not just shut down our creative force, which we've gone into quite a bit in previous podcasts but we also shut down our connection to the divine current that gives us these very subtle but ever-present prompts to stay where or continue on our path and to continue on in whatever way we feel called and in a society where we are bombarded with pressures of how we should be from the time we're very young, it can be very challenging to not shut down and just go along with the course of everyone else. And what is there to lose by doing that? Well, there's a lot to gain on the three-dimensional level. You'll gain probably more money. You'll have better credit, maybe. Maybe you'll have a more socially accepted lifestyle, whatever it is. But what is there to be lost is this channeling of the divine flow as it comes into you and how you express that and we're all unique in that way and I really believe that if we can all tune into that divine current flowing through us and allow it to express itself in the way we feel called we would eliminate a lot of the angst on earth because what creates angst is actually moving away from what we feel called to do and what creates joy and softness in our hearts and a little less ego is when we follow that flow, when we trust that what's coming through is really meant for us. So we implement the idea of strong determination to do this. It's like when we realize that we're a lion in a crowd of sheep, but every single one of us has the capability to unzip the sheep suit in the back and take it off. And realize we don't all need to be the same. In fact, how boring. Think about it. If you could only eat white rice, vanilla ice cream, and mashed potatoes for the rest of your life, how would you feel? And that's kind of how a lot of people go about living their life on the three-dimensional level. They just kind of go with what's handed to them. And although there's nothing wrong with this, a lot of people wake up eventually and find it to be incredibly flawed for their spiritual development. There's something that gets lost in translation when we simply settle for material comforts. 
And this is actually one of the forms of laziness, according to Pema Chodron in a following chapter. She says that following comfort is a sign of laziness. Because it's so easy to stay in our comfort zone and just cruise on through life. And all of a sudden, 65, 70 years have gone by and we look back and go, it was all a blur. The truth is, it might all be a blur anyway, but what imprint do you want to be left with? I know for myself, I want to say I gave it my best. I gave it my best to honor the divine force flowing through me and allow it to express itself in the best way possible for me. And that's actually been a guiding principle in my life is to keep trusting what I feel within my own heart rather than the pressures from other people. And although at times this can make me a bit headstrong, I feel overall it's really served me. I feel like I've had this very deep connection to my intuition since I started tuning into that. And so not only determination to stay on the path, determination to be ourselves, but also determination to help others in whatever way we can. And, you know, the other day I was driving out of Whole Foods in Oakland with a car full of groceries, you know, and I had a little bit of change in my bag. And I saw a woman with two babies sitting on the ground, begging for money for a motel and she was probably very new in the country maybe she's Syrian if I were to guess based on her attire and how adorable her babies were just broke my heart because there they are sitting in the hot sun I've got a car full of food what do they have so although I don't have as much money as I might usually have right now I still gave to her. It was only $6. But the reason I gave it to her wasn't so much because I didn't think anyone else would. It was because I am determined to help end suffering of others when I see them suffering. And again, imagine if everyone in the world started to implement this way of thinking, wow, someone else is suffering. Well, I can't be happy unless they're happy too. And I, I can tell you the satisfaction I felt. Truly, I was satisfied that I did it. I was, I was grateful that I gave her that money because she smiled, put her hands in prayer and looked at me and said, bless you, ma'am. And I felt it from her heart to mine. And, and that's really what we're all looking for, right? Is more connection. You know, what's the opposite of connection is depression. And a lot of times we think connection needs to be like these big peak experiences. Like, oh, I had the most amazing time at Burning Man, bro. And I was so, you know, fill in the blank. We don't need to go there, do we, guys? Nah, I don't think so. Not in this podcast. It has a clean marking, by the way. No cuss words. Did you notice? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Connection means how do we relate with the world from a connected place of oneness on a day-to-day basis? Because it's one thing for you to go and have an amazing time at Burning Man and realize that we're all one and we're all God. But it's another thing to realize that leaving a very hot, crowded parking lot, rushing to get out, rushing to go somewhere else, and self-concerned with our own motivations, such as I was very hungry in that moment and I wanted to get home, right? 
And so part of strong determination is this determination to stay connected to one another. And to realize that really we are all so intertwined that even if someone on the other side of the world is suffering, that dampens all of our vibrational frequencies. And so as people who want to help others, and I really believe that that is the basic seed within most of our hearts is there is this desire to help each other. Whether we fully have allowed that to blossom or not is another story. Some people try to bury the seed very deeply right? But what our job is, as those of us who are listening to this podcast, of those of us who are doing the bodhicitta work, and again, bodhicitta, just the enlightenment work, the work and the practices to move towards a deeper awakening, you know, it really is up to us to set the example. Strong determination is the vehicle to get us there. Because no matter the resistance, we keep going The second of the five strengths is familiarization with the bodhicitta teachings and practices. And familiarization with the teachings is, is pretty straightforward. It's about learning these timeless, ancient, oftentimes, techniques for how to be a decent human being. And I will tell you just how this applies to me. Because as I heard a teacher put it yesterday on another podcast, because I'm horribly self-involved. No, just kidding. Really, the reason I only speak about my own experiences most of the time is because that is something I can actually attest to. Whereas if I just quote the books, where is, the, where is that in me? You know, where is my footing with that teaching? So familiarization with the bodhicitta teachings is really studying the philosophies that help us open our hearts and help us awaken the virtues. And it's, a, it's basically essential to this process because it's like mind training. I see so many yogis who do a lot of asana, a lot of meditation, a lot of breathing, but there's one thing they don't do sometimes, and that's study the philosophy behind this system. And you can just see that there's something that hasn't fully come together there. And it's often that lack of knowledge. And although that might be a really controversial thing to say, I even feel it within myself. If I study the teachings on a day-to-day basis, and oftentimes the way I do this is I reread the, what I call staple spiritual texts over and over, until I really ingrain what they're saying to me. So when I, when I read even just a couple pages a day or a chapter, and maybe sometimes a lot more, depending on what's happening in life, I feel more grounded within embodying these teachings. Whereas if I don't study at all and I you know, scroll social media or am very social and out in the world without these teachings, I start to slip back into my old habitual patterning. And... 
that's really what the teachings are for. They're like little reminders. Like it's like tying a little string around your finger to remember to get the kombucha on the way home. That's what the teachings are. It's like they always come up at the perfect time. Like right when you're in a challenging scenario, all of a sudden, if you've studied them enough, if you've read and it tried to integrate on some level these teachings, suddenly right when you're really challenged, when you're struggling to gain composure, the teachings come up. I know a big one for me is if I'm feeling triggered about something, suddenly, after a while, and I'll go through it for a while, I'll really go through it, but all of a sudden, this little voice will come up and be like, just witness it. Just witness it unfold. And it might take a while, but eventually, it happens. And I want to read, actually, from the places that scare you a little bit about the example Pema Chodron gave for this. She says, Recently, I had the pleasure of going to a friend's swimming pool in the country. I had just received a letter, so when I got there, I sat in the car and read it. The letter was very straightforward. It pointed out to me that in a particular situation, I had neglected to communicate with the right people. My lack of clear communication had caused confusion and disappointment. She goes on to say, Reading this letter brought up a surprising amount of pain. Everything in me wanted to exit. And I adopted a common strategy. Blame. It was someone else's fault that it had happened. She goes on to say, It was someone else's fault that this had happened. Right there in the car, I got out a pen and began to write a letter to the person I was blaming. I made the blame solid and real. I put it down on paper. I knew enough to stop writing, but I said to myself, how can I be asking other people to do this kind of practice? It is asking too much. It's too challenging, too hard. I got out of the car and sat down next to the pool, and the pain was so consuming that at first I forgot all about the bodhicitta teachings. I didn't want to be a warrior. On the other hand, I know that unhappiness lies with exiting, with pointing myself away from the discomfort. Believe me, I've done it enough to know that this is true. She goes on to say, I try to encourage myself along the line that I am bigger than my thoughts and emotions. I also acknowledge my thoughts, listening to what I was saying about myself and others. But no shift was happening, absolutely none. Finally, I got into the pool and started to swim laps. After going back and forth about six times, I put my elbows on the side of the pool and began to weep. At that point, I was overwhelmed by a sense of how we suffer. Then, not because I was doing a particular practice, but because I'm so familiar with finding the soft spot, a reservoir of empathy arose seemingly out of nowhere, completely available to me. I was able to connect profoundly with my brothers and sisters all over the world. And she says, then the reservoir of compassion began to emerge. And this is, this is me again, by the way, this is what the teachings do for us. It's, it's like, they're not always right there on top of our mind whenever we get triggered in a challenging situation. Like if someone is accusing us of behaving a certain way, or if we've been told that we're at fault on some level with our work, perhaps, or whatever it may be any scenario that triggers us, sometimes the teachings seem to fly out of the door. 
But if we are willing to run towards our discomfort and sit with it and stay with it rather than do drastic reactive actions and words, if we can just sit with our experience long enough, the reservoir of teachings, as she calls it, will suddenly emerge. And they will guide us towards what the Buddhists call the soft spot. And the soft spot is that vulnerable, tender part within our hearts that underlies all of our emotionally reactive states. And that's pretty much what all of the spiritual teachings guide us towards. They guide us towards sifting through the clutter in our mind and emotions and arriving at the soft spot. And the soft spot is really kind of where we watch everything go on from. It's that witnessing faculty. But on another level, really, by definition, the soft spot is that well of compassion that is in these, this vulnerable part within our own hearts. So for example, when someone gets angry, if they can take some deep breaths and just sit with it or take a walk and process it, they will soften because they're not being triggered anymore. They will soften and find the soft spot and then they can come back and have a new energy or be able to at least communicate in a way that is still respectful. So familiarize yourself with the teachings and it doesn't need to be of any one religion at all. It can be from anywhere. The, the teachings could come from anyone you encounter. Whatever you feel in your heart to be like a deep truth, like you connect with it. It's like this light bulb goes off in your head and it brings you toward a place of virtuousness or a slightly more awakened mentality. You want to lean into that. You want to absorb it like a sponge if you can. It doesn't necessarily matter the source. What matters is does it ring true for you? And if it does, lean into it. And of course, if it doesn't, you don't have to fight with it either. You can just simply say, well, maybe for someone else, that's going to bring them peace. Maybe that will bring them awakening. And by doing this, we, we have this vast dictionary of knowledge, basically. And it's not there all the time, but when it is there, it acts as a guide. And the more we become experienced with allowing it to guide us, the more it will guide us. Now, sometimes what happens is we feel the soft spot, we, f we know the teaching, but we refuse to acknowledge it. And that's really the ego kind of saying, no, I am going to overpower every other part of your discernment and call the shots. But even so, eventually, even if it takes years to find the soft spot over certain scenarios, eventually it usually happens. And oftentimes the cause for it happening is some kind of spiritual epiphany some kind of little awakening or bodhisattva enlightened being moment where suddenly we just feel it. And even if it's just for a moment, that moment in time can help us clear so many layers of past lack of forgiveness or past hurt that we still hang on to. So the teachings are the soothing balm for us, especially for a broken heart or an out of control ego, either way. This brings me to the third of the five strengths, which is belief in the seed of goodness within all beings. And the seed of goodness is, again, quite obvious, right? It's that understanding that every single living being has the same inherent, innate 
innocence and goodness to them. And for me, I call that seed of goodness the divine. The Buddhists wouldn't really call it that. For them, the seed of goodness is just this natural human inclination to move towards compassion and loving kindness. Even if it takes hundreds of thousands of lifetimes to get there, there is this ages of old belief that every living being contains this same seed of inherent goodness. And it's probably one of the deepest spiritual practices around that we just have to slow down a little bit and remember that everyone has that seed of goodness. And again, it's so easy to do, right? When you're at Burning Man, bro, or what other other festival you like. And by the way, friends who go to Burning Man, I'm totally probably going to be there next year. So I'm not making fun of you. Well, not in a, not in a mean way. But you know what I mean? Like, think about those peak experiences. I've been there where I go somewhere like, like a yoga festival and everyone's all love and light. Really, they are. Until it comes time for the practice to start. And then the comparison comes in. The human nature comes in. The, the space issues. Oh, she set up her mat too close to mine. You get up and move your mat. Well, guess what? Someone comes right next to you on the other side and sets their mat too close. And now what are you going to do? Are you going to run away? Or are you going to accept that these are going to be the people along for your blast off, for your journey? And the way we find that acceptance sometimes is just by understanding that everyone's sacred. Every single living being is sacred. It's, it's just a matter of perspective. If we get overly concerned with like and dislike, I like them, therefore I want to be around them. Oh, I don't like them, therefore I have to act mean or push them away. It's really pointing back to us. Why are we so afraid of something that we don't understand? That's what it is when we don't like someone usually, right? It's that we don't understand their motives or we don't see their perspective. And all it takes to shift that mind state is willingness to shift your mind, literally. And, and that is where, you know, adhering to some of the teachings, some of the practices help us, right? So go back to the, the scenario at the yoga festival. This actually happened to me like 10 years ago. Um, and I was, I was maybe a little bit of a baby about it, right? I was just so annoyed at the people who sat up next to me for some reason and and for no good reason at all they were pretty much just like me and I think that's what bothered me was I saw my reflection in them but I wasn't in a favorable mind state and so I was jet lagged so my perspective was a little bit skewed it was a little bit more in the Oh, I'm just trying to get through this, which is like kind of the survival mind, right? The striving mind. Oh, I better be, you know, the best in the room. I'm so embarrassed to admit that now, but now I can because that desire has dropped. <laughs> this is not embarrassing anymore, right? It's like if we're just willing to dive into that soft spot and realize, you know, we've all got stuff. We've all got a little bit of baggage we carry around with us. And no matter how much we try to hide it, it's there. And the more we can understand this and accept it and just be like, wow, that's so beautiful, actually, that the perfection in life isn't necessarily what the magazines on the stand in the grocery store tell us it is. A perfect life isn't necessarily having X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, and then you have a perfect life. There's no recipe for it. And that's actually something that Pema Chodron says. 
She says, we are committed to exploring these questions. And so think about that statement. It's saying to understand that all living beings have the seed of goodness within them. It's not just automatic. Okay, I heard it and now I believe it 100%. No, we have to explore. We have to identify when we don't feel that level of connection. Perhaps if we have the strength, we have to shift it through awareness or whatever it may be. And eventually, through our willingness to look at ourselves, we start to implement these teachings in a way that's automatic, which basically means we've reconditioned some of the less palatable viewpoints, and we've started to accustom ourselves to ones that help in suffering and help us awaken our own hearts, and also awaken our ability to think for ourselves. How many times, again, going back to just what we're bombarded with on the day to day, it comes in with politics, everything. It's like, I can be friends with you if you voted for this person, but if you didn't, I don't like you. And although I can understand the sentiment sometimes, we've got to be a little bit bigger than that. We've got to realize that that attitude is what has led us to the division we see in the world at hand right now. And so back to the yoga festival again, because I'm rambling. Hey, these two women set up next to me and it was time for handstands. I'm like, oh, great. I'm extra triggered now. Handstands. Ah. And woman next to me said she would be my partner. And so here we go, time for the handstand. And as I go up, she grabbed my low belly really hard, right around my uterus to hold me up. And I came down and I was like, no, you're holding me in the wrong spot. And I tried to show her what to do and she ran out of the room really upset and she didn't come back. She was triggered by me, I must have been too blunt. In that moment, I was treating her like an enemy rather than a friend trying to help me. And I felt really bad when she didn't come back for the rest of the workshop. I felt a little bit disheartened. I was like, wow, was I really just that mean? And in my own mind, I didn't think so. But for her, it was a big deal. It was enough to make her not do the rest of the workshop. And in that moment of realizing that, I dropped into the soft spot in my own heart for her and for the other woman on the other side of me who was nowhere near me anymore either. And years later, I still think of her. I think, wow, I wonder why she just didn't tell me, can you be a little nicer to me? But see, we don't have that conditioning. We have the conditioning that it's us against them and you're either with me or against me and there's no middle ground. But really, this isn't true. We can always find a middle ground. But it takes both parties or all parties involved to be willing to do it. And what I feel and what Pema Chodron is saying is part of the willingness to do it is to trust that every living being is innately, inherently good. Every living being has this same divine seed that permeates us. And even if it's not readily available on the surface of everyone, some people you just feel it. You just feel their, their power and their divinity and through their beauty. But others, they've got it a stashed away somewhere very deep. I'm sure it wouldn't take long to think of a few political examples here in the United States without having to name names. But even that person has the seed of goodness within their own heart. They might not be leading their lives from that place. That's another story. 
So how do we help even those people who have lost touch with that divine connection? How do we help them awaken to it? It's quite simple. We lead by example. We believe in the goodness within them. Even when we feel guilty or unworthy, think about how we have felt better about it. Oftentimes, someone we love will come and be like, no, you're amazing, you're great, you're, you're so epic, and they might tell you why they think that way exactly. And, you know, we've really got to be willing to be that for each other. Like, imagine that handstand in the big yoga festival thing scenario. What if I would have come down and been like, whoo, I'm really scared of handstand. Can you, can you squeeze my hips harder instead? I think I'll feel safer. If I could have just had the heart to communicate in that way. And now I do. But 10 years ago, the teachings hadn't set in enough. I was practicing for six hours a day, a lot of the time, like just nonstop between teaching three classes a day and doing my own personal practice. I was going for it. But it hadn't gone deep yet. It hadn't gone to my core. It took me meeting a teacher, Dharma Mitra, who was really rooted in the yogic teachings to to spark me and to make me be like, oh, I get it now. It doesn't matter how advanced I get if I'm not checking myself, if I'm not tuning into others and being nonviolent and being truthful and not coveting people's energy. You know, if I'm not in moderation or all these things that we could say, you know, how does that affect the world? And that's really what these spiritual inquiries are about. It's about checking in and being like, you know, how does my behavior affect others? And also, how does my behavior affect myself? And although this can be really hard to look at without, you know, rose tinted lenses, like, oh, I'm perfect and everyone else, you know, is flawed. If we're willing to take the rose colored glasses off and just take a good, honest look at ourselves, we have this opportunity to really awaken. And in that, you know, what is awakening to me is kind of to get a firm understanding of the nature of reality. And then we learn not to be so attached. And then we learn that it's not really about being right or wrong. It's about finding middle ground. And then we can appreciate every living being for the divine emanation that they are. Even if we don't agree with them, we can still respect the very basis of their life force. That's really what it comes down to, respecting the divinity within everyone, including ourselves. When we do that, we realize every mountain is sacred, every tree is sacred. Every breeze that blows up on our skin is blessing. And then we get to approach life with a new level of reverence and also a new level of humility because we realize we're all actually just as special. We're all actually worthy and we're all actually in full perfection of the expression of the divine flowing through us in that moment. The fourth of the five strengths is called reproach. This one's tricky. I had to really contemplate it for a long time. So the, when I think of the word reproach, I think of having to go to confession in a Catholic church when I was a little girl. And I didn't know what to tell the priest. So I went out and 
made some mischief. And then the next, like, probably a week or two later, I went back to confession, and I had something to tell the priest. And I remember the the priest telling me, you know, well, that was wrong. Why did you do that? You were such a good girl last week, and now, all of a sudden, you're guilty. And I was so vulnerable that it imprinted me. It made me, I really allowed that belief system to come in. And I think a lot of us walk around life with our shoulders rolled forward just a little more because we feel guilty. We somehow have this belief that there's something we did wrong. And even for the most pristine hearts, we carry this. And so reproach is not shame or guilt. It's not a guilt-based thing if we can see it clearly for what it is. Reproach is basically to keep checking our ego and to keep reminding ourselves that we want to stay on the path of, you know, the higher ground, essentially. It's like, why trudge through the mud and the slime, you know, on this earth and be that when we can be flying high? Just like the bird perched in the tree above me right now, overlooking the sunset over the bay, we can, we can take ourselves to that level of consciousness. We don't have to be dragging ourselves through the mud over and over about the things that we perceived we did wrong. But rather, we get to keep reminding ourselves or course correcting. And, you know, think about what course correcting is. You're driving the car, the wheel starts to veer to the right and go off the road. You slowly pull the car back on the road and no one gets hurt. That's what reproach is. Guilt and shame is like the car is veering off the road to the right and you feel so bad about it, you just turn the wheel all the way to the right, flip the car ten times and everyone gets hurt. And if we think about it, it's like, wow, so when I shame myself, I actually shut myself down and then I start to cut off my potential to do better next time because I feel so awful about myself. I'll just keep in that vibration because I've given up hope, right? Whereas reproach is the course correction. It's like, oh, you started to veer off the road, Mm, pull the car back on the road. And everyone goes along chatting and enjoying the road trip. And so reproach is a way about making minimal pain for others and ourselves. And I'll just paraphrase the story that she uses in the book. She's talking about a monk who was being fed by his patrons. So most of you know, like, and it still goes on to this day, but I don't think it's quite as prevalent in India and Tibet and Nepal and those areas. People will, or really monks and Buddhist nuns and yogis will renounce all possessions. They'll renounce all profession, family, and money. And they wander around and they beg for food. Um, But it's not seen as dishonorable. It's seen as honorable because they have the courage to do it. They have the deepest sense of trust that no matter what, they will be provided for. And they trust it and it happens, right? So we could all learn so much from them. Um, But anyway, this monk was being fed by his patrons and they left him in the room after the meal for a moment and there was a big bag of flour in the room and he went to dip his cup into the bag of flour to take some for the road and he was so accustomed to using this technique of reproach that as soon as he started to steal the flour, he started yelling, thief, 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 
and he yelled it so frantically that his patrons came back in the room and looked at him, and his hand was in the flower bag, and he looked at them and said, look, I've caught him. And the patrons were just, I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> Be like, take the flower, my goodness. Um, and so that's kind of what reproach is. It's like being willing to sort of call ourselves out. And it doesn't need to be so obvious, but sometimes it does. You know, if we do something to hurt someone, whether we think we're right or wrong or not, it can be so powerful for us to simply say, you know, I understand you. Or even for ourselves, if we do something to hurt ourselves, right? Like, this is just a simple example, but... If, if I eat a food that I know doesn't make me feel good, but I choose to eat it, after I eat it, if I start not feeling well again, I can actually tell myself, okay, well, you've been down this road a few times, and it's time to not eat that food again. And it's not a guilt-based thing, because it's like even before I ate the food, I'm like, all right, I know it's probably not going to make me feel great, but I really want it. That's kind of the ego. I want, I want, fulfill my desires gimme gimme right so reproach is the idea of saying okay ego you got your desire met and again body look at how you feel and although we could get in the debate about what food benefits who and what's harmful i really don't find it necessary to go there because the food is just a metaphor for anything oh wow i i went and did that yoga class that i know normally is a little too fast paced for me or i feel a little claustrophobic in that room and then the next day when we feel like we got hit by a bus and we can barely get up and walk to the sink to brush our teeth it's a, like a little reproach saying see this is why you don't normally do that see understand it or in relating oh wow when i'm around those people you know i feel like they don't you know, respect me. Well, in that case, you don't have to be around them. So reproach is very gentle. It's, it's not so aggressive as guilt and shame. And guilt and shame often lead us in this downward spiral of moving in the same direction that we don't want to go. Right? Like, for example, if I eat that food item that I know doesn't make me feel good, um, and, and for me, that is gluten, I'm allergic to it. If I eat that, you know, in, in the now I actually can't eat it. My throat will swell shut. But if I would eat it in the past when I first became intolerant to it, I would shame myself. Look, you're going to get more acne. You're not going to be well. And then I would feel not only physically horrible, but mentally horrible. So reproach is a technique to help guide us towards making better choices. So we don't have to even, we don't have to feel bad at all. We can stay aligned with what we know to be the truth for us. Whether that is other people's truth even the people closest to you it's not so much of a um you know it doesn't matter so much it's not so much of a pressing thing to make everyone happy but rather it's an invitation to follow our gut follow our intuition and also our deepest gut feelings and and when we don't follow them it's it's the ability to acknowledge that and do better next time and if we fail again we acknowledge and we commit to ourselves, I'll be more aware next time. And we, and we do it over and over again until we really have this understanding that why do things to create suffering and pain when I have a choice to do something that creates joy and well-being? And you name it. 
And last but not least, the final of the fifth strengths, the fifth one, is aspiration. And aspiration means that even if we are not ready to act outwardly on something, we can still have the prayer or the intention in our heart to be a light in this world. So it's like this, even if your intentions are good and other people don't take them well, you know that in your heart you aspired to do good. So there's no need to regret. Although we might have to course correct or reproach ourselves sometimes if we are reactive. If the intention or the aspirations within our own heart and mind are coming from a place of love and compassion, then we remain in alignment, in alignment with our highest self or in alignment with the universal dharma, the universal, you know, glue that holds everyone together. And that, I love that word dharma. It's, it's the, uh, that which holds together. Dharma means that which holds together. And there's personal dharma, like our own spiritual truths, our own deepest knowings that we adhere to. And there's also universal dharma, basic ways of acting to help create peace and order in the world. And in a time of chaos and discord, following the universal dharma is a big deal. And the five strengths encompass part of that universal dharma. And aspiration is a big one because to, to adhere to all of the other five strengths, strong determination, familiarization with the teachings, belief in the seed of goodness within all beings, and reproach, we've got to aspire to do so. So aspiration is really the root. Aspiration is the driving, motivating force for every single thing we do, essentially. Even with this podcast, I aspire to help even just one person connect a little more to what being a human being is and, and the significance of it. And if I can even reach through to one person, I know that the work is complete. And even if I don't reach one person, just the fact that I've been able to speak it within myself, it allows me to integrate even deeper. If it reaches 50,000 people, that's great too. I aspire to that. But on a deeper level, the, the root aspiration is to integrate the teachings for whoever is curious enough to listen. And so aspiration is really the power of intent. Good intentions are the ground in which we stand upon. Because if we have good intentions, clear intentions, rooted in spiritual truth and dharma, essentially, then no matter what the outcome is, we can sleep at night. Whereas if our intentions are askew, if we're not aspiring to be virtuous or loving or compassionate, then confusion will be the result. Because our behavior won't be in alignment with love most of the time it will be in alignment with the ego and so the ego is always about itself so when it sees the woman on the street corner asking for money the ego will say well that six dollars can buy me a i don't know what can it buy you here in california that six dollars will buy me a cup of coffee no i can't give it to her and then how can we really be at peace with ourselves when we drive away from a woman with two children who are hungry and hot in the sun who probably just arrived here not very long ago how can we sleep so good intentions are to understand you know it's okay if i don't have that cup of fancy matcha today 
I want to help this person. And so sometimes aspirations need to be based in selflessness. Because if we only aspire selfishly, then we actually become a leech on others. We're always trying to see what others can do for us, what others can give us. But if we aspire in a selfless way, meaning we're thinking of others, we're putting others first when we can, or even selfless aspirations for our own life, like I want to become a better yoga teacher so I can help more people get out of pain. It benefits everyone, right? Including myself. And when we have those aspirations, they act like a lighthouse when we're lost at sea. They help guide us in the direction of our destiny. And I think this is important that we all get clear on what our higher aspirations are. You know, if you have some time after listening to this podcast, write down what are your aspirations? What are your aspirations for yourself? What are your aspirations for your family? And what are your aspirations for all living beings, humans and animals and plants and every, the earth, everything alike? Get clear on it because the clearer we get on these things, the more rooted we become in our own personal dharma. The more we become capable of remaining determined on our path, the more we are willing to integrate the teachings the more the inherent goodness comes out within us. So we can course correct when needed and stay rooted in our highest intentions. And you can see these five strengths are all connected. And really, they help us remain in a selfless place. You know, determination to me is kind of the most selfful one. It's, you know, determination is like how we keep ourselves moving forward, how we keep going, even in the face of wanting to give up and just take the easy route. And aspiration is to say, you know what, I want something better, or I'm grateful for what I have, but I want other people to have this too. Whatever it is, the invitation is to root your existence in these strengths and see how they carry you. And the power behind it is they won't just carry you but they'll carry everyone else with you too. Thank you so much for listening to Walking Dharma Podcast. Namaste.